Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. I count myself happy, blessed, and privileged to be your pastor and to bring you the two messages that the Lord has given me for today. And I trust that I can make two verses plain to you that are not plain to very many at all. They are very confused about these two verses, and they use their confusion, or in their malice, they corrupt these two verses to excuse themselves from worshiping civil government and from from reverencing civil government and obeying civil government. And I hope that I can make it plain today what these two verses are teaching us. I hope it can be exciting for you and your children. Because out of these verses should come an opportunity for you to sit at the table with them and to point out all that government does for them and to rejoice in that fact and to give thanks for our rulers like 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3 tells us we ought to do. Let me read these seven verses to you so that we have our context by reading distinctly from the book of the law of God. The New Testament, Romans 13, verse 1. Let... Every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For, for this cause, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Amen and amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. This is inspired and preserved scripture. These are the words of the Lord Jehovah to us. We can rejoice in the fact that he made the sun, the moon, and the stars also, and he did it with his fingers. But let us rejoice in this fact that he has sent servants to us. He has sent ministers that are called his ministers several times in this passage, and they are our civil rulers. And let's be thankful for them, let's pray for them, let's submit to them, let's give them the honor that they deserve. I am so thankful for the God of heaven saving me from 50 years of listening to patriot drivel and twaddle about government because they don't have a clue about government. They are rebels. I hate every one of them. And some of you may wonder why it is taking me so long to get through these verses, but I have had to be associated with these people, these rabble-rousers, their rabble, and they want to rouse the other rabble against government. They despise government. They speak evil of dignities. They're self-willed. They're presumptuous. And I can't stand them in their doctrine. And because I've been around it, and I've been in churches where they were harbored, 
And because of us in the ancient past, decades ago, they were among us. And because I was among them, and because I participated in some of their activities, and because I have opened my mouth against God's ministers many times over those 50 years, I am, I am very convicted before God, and I'm very angry about anyone that opens their mouth against government. They're rabid dogs that need to be taken out and shot. No one has the right to say that about government. No one has the right to bring railing accusation against the governments of men. What you consider the worst governments, not even the angels of heaven, bring a railing accusation to the Lord about them. That is sober, sober business that we're dealing with in this passage. We are living in a rebellious nation. We have rebellious DNA because we're Americans. And because we are conservative Christian Americans, we have had to rub elbows with others who consider themselves Christians, but call themselves conservative Americans. And so some of their anarchy and some of their rebellion and some of their patriotism is rubbed off on us. And I want to purify our church from it. And I want you to understand these verses. And so I'm going to take my time going through them so that you will have an answer when someone comes to you and tries to use these two verses as their excuse as to why they're not going to obey the government of these United States of America. They don't have a clue about interpreting the Bible and they don't want to learn how to interpret the Bible. All they want is a Bible verse that they can twist to excuse themselves from obeying Uncle Sam. And it's in our DNA. It's in every one of you. Let's humble ourselves before these ministers that God has sent us. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. The Apostle Paul in these seven verses does this. In two verses, he teaches that we ought to obey civil government because of the source of its authority. God ordained it. You know, he just starts out, bam, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. It was just second nature or first nature or instinctive for Christians not to want to submit to Rome for reasons I've given before. But Paul just starts out by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. There is no civil government on earth, nor has there ever been a civil government on earth that is not of God. God raised it up. God put it in place. It has God-given authority, and it has God-given right to take its sword and cut your head off if you don't like it. Just like fathers... It doesn't matter if a father is good, and I have spent so much time trying to communicate this, and I hope that it is getting through to every one of you. Kings are just like fathers. All five spheres of authority are similar in many respects, though differing in degree or context. But they're very similar. It doesn't matter whether it's a good father or a bad father. Both are from God. It is the office and the man in the office and the man's attitude at that particular time in his office. God ordained all of that. Well, my dad's in a bad mood today. That couldn't be from the Lord. It absolutely is from the Lord. He is trying you to see if you're going to be an obedient child or not. Whether your father is in a good mood or a bad mood doesn't have a single thing to do with whether you owe him honor and obedience or not. That is the Word of God from cover to cover. There isn't a verse to the contrary on any one of the five spheres of authority. It doesn't matter. 
He can be the most immoral, wicked, drug-addicted, pervert that the world has ever seen, but he's still in the office of a father, and what he tells you to do, a child ought to do it. And so it is with government. Rulers are not a terror to good works. The first thing that we want to get into our heads is that God ordained these five spheres of authority and the positions that are in them and the men that are in the positions and the particular spirit, ambitions, goals, or direction that every man is in at a particular point in time. God's in charge of all those things. You read Ezra chapter 7 last evening, I hope, and you saw that God was in charge of Ezra, and that was a wonderful thing. But you know... The next king, the, first, the previous king was Nebuchadnezzar who tore the temple to the ground and ravished the city and raped the women and killed the men and the children and hauled some of them off into captivity. Is that the ordinance of God? Absolutely. Why? Because they had sinned against him for 500 years and so he was going to take them into captivity for 70 years. Nebuchadnezzar was his servant, probably his favorite servant because he said it so many times about him in the book of Jeremiah especially. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, the apostle teaches us that we should submit because their authority comes from God. And there is damnation hanging in the balance for you. And that damnation is not going to hell. That damnation is judgment from God and from the ruler. Primarily the ruler. Because if you follow through these verses, that's what the emphasis is going to be. He's the one that carries the sword in verse 4. And verse 5 says... You need to be subject for wrath's sake, that's his wrath, and for conscience sake, that's toward God. This is serious business that we're dealing with. And you know, if some of you that are older will think, we know of Christians that we have communed with decades ago that have been in prison, and that's where they should have been. But if we had a real government, their heads would have been cut off. When I say a real government, I mean a government that enforces God's idea of authority completely. The next two verses, verses 3 and 4, encourage us, teach us, support submitting to civil authority because of the utility of civil government. Its purpose, its value should provoke us to want to submit to it. And then verses 5 through 7 give us our duties so that they can be about they're ministering and serving of us as they are, as they do. They're called public servants because they do service and they service in so many ways. I'm ashamed and embarrassed today that my list of 50 to 100 examples of their service and ministry will not be sufficient to give them the honor that they deserve. So I'm hoping that parents will sit down with their children around the supper table and resurrect all those things in which our government serves us. First, As we look at this first sentence, this first clause, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. It is a sentence. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. First, let's submit to context. Why are we being told this? Why do we have a coordinating conjunction opening up the verse? Because it's explaining how we can avoid the damnation. It's the last word in verse 2. How can we save ourselves from damnation? Now that's a strong word used in the Bible. You know, people, and I've told you this, I probably told you a couple of times that people get excited and worried and nervous and fearful about the word damnation occurring in 1 Corinthians 11 about abusing the Lord's Supper. But if you don't submit to authority, you've got damnation on you. Right here. 
This is serious, serious business. Well, how do we avoid it? Those that resist are resisting God's ordinance and they're going to receive to themselves damnation. And rightly so. Because rulers are a terror to evil works. And he doesn't bear the sword in vain. If you disobey the ruler, he's going to cut your head off. If you disobey the ruler, he's going to put you in prison. If you disobey the ruler, he's going to confiscate your assets. If you disobey the ruler, he's going to give you a ticket. Pick whatever offense you want to. Damnation, trouble, or judgment is going to come upon you for disobeying the ruler. There's two... I've mentioned that already. Second point I want to make about this first sentence. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. The second thing we want to notice after the context is the fact that we have the word rulers in verse 3. Now in verses 1 and 2 we had the word powers, power, powers, power. Here we have it defined for us. And it's not ministers, and it's not fathers, it's rulers. And these rulers are paid tribute. And these rulers are paid custom. This is civil government, period. There is no question about it. But there are those who have taken the word power and powers and made it the gospel minister. And the sword is this. And we've mocked that before. For instance, I have said to you, well, there's going to be a box at the back and it's going to be a tribute box on the left and a custom box on the right and I expect you to put money into both. Because I'm going to demand tribute and custom of you and I'm going to be back there with the word of God to slay you if you don't put into it richly. It's just, it's, it's, it's absurd. Where did that, where would that even come from? Why could anyone read Romans 13, 1 through 7 and come up with the idea, I think I can squeeze all of this over onto the gospel ministry? Are you smart enough yet to be able to figure that out? That you can understand the motives of a man, every single man, that has ever come up with that idea. He wants to get rid of civil government and its authority. I know some outspoken proponents of such an interpretation, and I know exactly where they came from. They had given their lives to conspiratorial thinking, and they hate government. They want to change government. They're self-willed. They're presumptuous. They speak evil of dignities. They want to change things that they don't have a clue to understand. The second thing that we can see is that we have God the Holy Spirit interpreting power and powers for us with the word rulers. Third thing, what are these good works? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now this was the Roman Empire that the Apostle Paul was writing about, and the Roman Empire was a terror to certain good works like preaching the gospel. Like being the Son of God. Was Jesus Christ put to death by the Roman government? Did James have his head cut off by the Roman government? Did the Apostle Paul eventually have his head cut off, according to church tradition? Was Peter crucified upside down? Yes. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's confirm these words here by another apostle writing the same lesson in nearly the same words. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Oh, I'm not upset at you, brethren. I'm upset at error. 
and I love God, and I love the Lord Jehovah that has already been lifted up in this service by Psalm 8, and by our prayers in the back room with you men, and by what we have done thus far, by singing praise to the Lord God, the Almighty, I want to worship Him. Because He is worshipped by giving honor to those men that are His servants and ministers in this world who are the highest on this planet. And He is higher than they, but they are higher than we, which is why they are called the higher powers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit. Does that word require definition? Get down and obey them. Submit. Every one of you that know your pastor, know that he's got the wildest spirit of anyone sitting in this room. And God knows it. But your pastor knows the Lord God of heaven and loves His Word and believes every word of that Bible. And though he has a wild spirit in him like the Gadarene, without God's restraining and loving and binding grace, this is the Word of God, and I am not going to modify it in the least degree. Submit. Submit yourselves to every... Do I need to interpret that? Do you want to sit around and play tiddlywinks with the Word of God and try to think of exceptions? There aren't any. Until they cross my God. And until they cross my God with written statements of His own, then we submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Why do we do it? For the Lord's sake, out of conscience toward God, because God told us to. Whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. The reason I wanted to turn over here is for you to see that Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, used very similar words, and those very similar words are in the second half of verse 14, that government is sent for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. That's the utility of government. That's the purpose of government. That's why verses 3 and 4 of Romans 13 are another proof, another evidence, another reason why we ought to submit to government because their purpose is good. They're punishing evildoers. They're rewarding and praising good doers. So we should want to obey. In addition to the fact that God sent them. And we want to do it for the Lord's sake. Back to Romans 13. Back to Romans 13. What in the world are these good works? Oh, I've heard it out. I've heard it all. This is an idealistic government. This is what the way, this is the way government should be. This is God's morality. This is biblical Christianity. This is political theory. This is the concept and it's a warning to governors of how they ought to rule. It's none of that junk. These are the good works of being a good citizen, period. No more and no less. It's obeying the laws of the land, period. No more, no less. That is all the good works are. What does a government praise and what does a government punish? Those that keep or break its laws. It doesn't care what the Bible says on most everything in the Bible. Though every government in the world, for the most part, does enforce the second table of the Ten Commandments. Do you know the second table of the Ten Commandments? 
Do you know that the first table are four commandments on how you worship God, and the second table are six commandments on how you treat other men? And I'd like you to try to find a government left in the world today that doesn't enforce the last six. Or five of them. Some of the countries you hate the most enforce six. While this country that you live in only enforces five. But see, their laws already reflect God's second table of the Ten Commandments. Good works in verse 3 of Romans 13 are good civil works, good governmental works, good societal works, keeping the laws, keeping the ordinances. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. It's man's ordinances. It's getting a building permit when you're going to build a house. It's getting a driver's license when you're going to drive a car. You don't have a right to drive a car. It is a privilege to drive a car on roads that cost countless billions to build and that have state troopers protecting you on them and everyone else has a license on that road to protect you because everyone has met minimum levels of qualifying in order to be able to drive. You don't have a right to drive a vehicle from point A to B unless it is through your neighbor's cornfields to get from point A to B. If you're going to drive a vehicle on the roads of this government, you get a license because they have a reason for doing that, and that is to protect us that I don't have to drive around 12-year-olds that are driving vehicles, and I don't have to drive around people that are blind driving vehicles. And I don't have to drive around people that can't understand English on the signs and don't understand what our signs mean. It's not just to take more money from us. It is to give us safety on our roads. Oh, you brother may be thinking that I'm creating a straw man right now. You've never met a patriot. A patriot does not believe that the government has the right to tell him he has to driver's li- he has to have a driver's license to drive a vehicle. He thinks that he can get in his little old vehicle and go from A to B whenever he wants to because God is sovereign and he's God's child. Or he's an American. He's a patriot. And the government isn't going to tell him what he can or he cannot do. That is wrong. I'm thankful for those driver's licenses. I just wish they said 25 years of age instead of 16. Sorry, sons. Well, you're all over. Well, there's one left. The older we get, the higher we wish the minimum age for driving was. What are the good works? Oh, it clears up so much. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. The good works are good civil works, keeping the laws of the empire. This is Rome that Paul and Peter were both writing about. If the government says you got to have a building permit, you get a building permit. If the government says you owe this and this for your piece of property or for your income or for your person or the number of people in your house given by the census, then you pay it. It means that you park the right way in front of your house. You don't park backwards. If they, if they don't want a pickup truck in a particular subdivision, you get rid of your pickup truck and drive a real vehicle, which is a car, in that particular subdivision. You obey the ordinances that God gave, and they, they punish people that don't keep their laws, and they praise and reward people that do keep their laws. You get deductions on your tax return. You get exemptions. You get privileges. You can go places and do things that other citizens cannot do that don't keep all the laws. That's all this is. It is not, this is not some conditional statement here that in your little opinion, when you look at the government that we have in Washington, D.C., you look at it and you say, I don't think, I think they're a terror to good works. 
I don't have to obey them. See, the first step in a patriot's mind is, I'm going to get rid of the whole passage by converting power and powers to gospel ministers. The second step is, the good works are, this is no longer a Christian government. This government no longer rewards morality. It's actually encouraging immorality. Therefore, I don't have to obey it. Can somebody help me find any if conditional basis in this passage at all? Like if it meets your satisfaction? You say, well, it should be obvious. Is it really obvious? I'm going to start sending the young men that write me from around the world and the young women that write me from around the world, I'm going to send them their emails to your inbox as they tell me about their drug addict fathers that have left them, you know, that have left them, that have come back, that beat them and so forth. I'm going to tell you about the girls that have been sexually abused by their grandfathers, their uncles and their fathers. And I want you to tell them that. That because their parent, because their father, because their parents didn't treat them just the way you think a father should treat them, they can disregard the authority of their fathers. The authority of the father still stands. It doesn't mean he's exonerated before God. It means he's a cruel monster. But God made the choice that that child was going to come into this world a child of a cruel monster. That's the way it is. Just because a a father doesn't teach his children the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that that child can escape the responsibility to honor and obey that father. And so it is with the government. Because you look at the government and you say, you see same-sex marriages. They're not requiring you to have a same-sex marriage. Has anybody in here got a letter from the government saying you need to divorce your opposite-sex spouse and get a same-sex spouse? Anyone here get anything like that? Oh, so really, that doesn't have anything to do with you, does it? Has anybody got a letter saying, oh, three children's too many, but we're going to let you slide with three. We want you to abort number four. We have found out through our Obamacare database that you've been for some prenatal visits with number four. We want you to abort number four. Anybody got a letter like that? Oh, so if the pagans want to practice abortion, that bothers you. The government doesn't require abortion. What if a father's a drunkard? If he requires the child to drink to drunkenness, the child should disobey the father. I've taught it all my life. But if the father's a drunkard, it doesn't have a thing to do with that child's submission to that father. So, he has a drunk father. How many soldiers have had drunk generals? I won't name any because that would be bringing railing accusation against men in authority. We know some in our nation's history. Good works. This, this is, it clears up this passage from becoming this conceptual political science, political theory verse where everybody can sit around and say, well, I don't think that our government is a terror. I don't, I believe our government is a terror to good works. I don't think it's a terror to evil works anymore. I'm not going to submit. I don't think I have to submit. That is what they do with the little words, good works. The good works are what government rewards And the evil works are what government punishes. What does government reward? Those that keep their laws. What does government punish? Those that don't keep their laws. My little wife said to me last night when she was wanting to go to sleep and I was at the same volume 
in my bedroom, my final words to her were, I hope your mother doesn't think I was yelling at you. Because <laughs> I was animated. And only for the truth's sake, brethren, she said, it's all plain to him that understandeth. I said, thank you, but i got to make it plain for them to understand. And I, and I told her, I don't want to be upset tomorrow. I want to be calm, cool, and collected. And I don't know how to preach that way. And I don't think John the Baptist could have preached in a three-piece suit. And, I, and I'm not excusing myself. I... I'm 56 years old, and for 50 years of my life, I have heard this passage abused. And I want to love this passage, and I want to embrace this passage. And this passage fits the Word of God. It fits all the other spheres of authority. And the explanation is so incredibly simple. There's no other good works there. God never raised up kings in order to enforce Christianity on the rest of the world. God never raised up kings to enforce His wisdom on men. God never raised up kings to... What did God raise up kings for? To keep your neighbor from killing you. What did God raise up kings for? To keep your neighbor from taking your property. What did God raise up kings for? So that when you go into business and you practice honesty in your business by giving a full measure to purchasers and paying a full price when you're buying, everyone else has to do the same thing so you can succeed. And about a thousand other blessings. And I want you to be thinking about them. And if you don't do them, He punishes you. If you're an evildoer and you kill someone, you say, well, Paul Paul wouldn't even think about Christian. You don't have a clue about reality, do you? Paul wouldn't even think about somebody killing somebody else. Really? Why don't you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1 with me and let's just see if that ever enters into the mind of God and his apostles, that sometimes you get angry enough to want to kill somebody. Hey, have you ever said the words? I, let's not even ask ourselves. I'm glad I'm of a gentle spirit that would never such think or say such a thing. First Timothy chapter 1. This is, this is, God understands laws. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. Those are the evildoers. For the ungodly and for sinners. For unholy and profane. What kind of profanity are we talking about, Paul? What kind of sin are we talking about? What kind of disobedience are we talking about? What kind of lawlessness are we talking about? Well, let's get started here. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Parricide. That's why we have government. That's why there's laws. To protect parents from children. If an old man has some teenage sons, is there a point where the curve on the graph of their physical power crosses and passes his curve on the graph? If in God's law and in God's country and in God's nation, you smote your parent, what happened to you? You were killed. What if you cursed your parent? Killed. What if you told a joke about them? Killed. What if you rolled your eyes at them? Killed. Oh, that makes it pretty easy to be a parent, doesn't it? You can then exercise your authority and know that the government's behind you in being a parent. These are the kind of laws 
listed in the Bible as why God gave the law. The law was not for a righteous man. Righteous men go ahead and live the truth anyway. Righteous men do what is righteous. Righteous men do what is right. It's ungodly and lawless men that do these kind of things. So it says murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. It says for manslayers, that's murderers. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, those are sodomites. For men stealers, that's kidnappers. For liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now it's so interesting to look at a verse like that and find out that most or all governments in the world enforce most or all of those crimes. That's the good works of Romans 13.3. There's so much more that could be said on this. If they can't corrupt the word rulers to make the whole passage apply to gospel preachers, then they corrupt the word good works to make these two verses a litmus test to where they can decide whether they're going to obey a government or not. There is nothing in here about that at all. If you could work it in here, which you can't, then it also applies to the other four spheres of authority. That whenever we don't like that authority because he is not very good, he comes home drunk and slaps me. He comes home drunk and ridicules me that I'm just a worthless son. That boss has promised that he's going to give me a promotion and a raise for two years. And he's promoted and raised people around me that don't do as, that don't work as hard as I do. Yes, that's called suffering wrongfully and enduring grief in First Peter chapter two. And what are you supposed to do with that boss? Be in subjection to him with all fear, not answering again. Why? Out of conscience toward God. Exactly as we do here, and as exactly every child that writes me from around the world gets the same answer from me. They are in a position of authority and you'll honor them. Only when they try to force you to do something that is contrary to God's word do you resist. It doesn't matter what they do relative to God's word. Are we? I know I'm repeating myself. This is strictly good citizenship, keeping public ordinances. It's not Bible religion. It's not truth. It's not Bible truth. It's not Bible wisdom. It is simply what government is in place for. Government is in place to protect you. They keep, they keep people from coming into your house at night and raping your wife and killing you. Wonderful experience on Friday morning. Sherry and I were up and a neighbor's house alarm went off accidentally and we were, out, we were just laughing. Two Greenville County deputies and one city of Malden police car were just about blew us off the road. Un- we live in such a wonderful country because we have these kings and these governors sent by that king in order to protect us. Somebody's house alarm had gone off on a Friday morning at 10 o'clock, you know, when it's bright daylight and you're in the middle of a subdivision and bang! There's all these guys with sword, I mean guns. They don't bear the sword in vain. There they are to protect the neighborhood. The speed at which they arrived and their fury at getting around that house was, you know, I needed it. A little reminder that I was on the right track with what I was preaching you. I don't preach the Bible or interpret it based on my circumstances, but it was just another nice display. And I can, I've told some of you about my encounter with Operation Clean Sweep that was performed at a certain 
dancing facility in this county about 15 years ago where Sherry and I, later that night, were lying in our beds just laughing out loud because we had never seen such a display of authority, and it was right here in Greenville County on a a little frontage road over there by St. Francis Women's Hospital, never in our lives, with helicopters and dogs and BATF and uh, DEA and troopers and sheriffs and city policemen all at once, 50 cars on each side of that particular institution, and they, they took everybody in that night. Anybody on that road? And I love the authority. Machine guns, dogs, overhead spotlights, cars hidden in the weeds, bushes, paddy wagons to haul them all away. Johnny Mac Brown was our county sheriff. Thank you, Lord, for Johnny Mac Brown. A wonderful man, friend of our families. Ate, Ate in our restaurant back in those days about three times a week. I love the display of power and authority. We should be thankful for it. You know, if you have your house wired and it's connected to a security company that informs the police, they're going to be there so fast. And that's their job, and we're thankful for it. These are the good works, brethren. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Because, see, we're trying to avoid the damnation. We should be afraid of the power. We should be afraid of the ruler. We should be afraid of the civil government of doing what they don't want us to do because that's going to bring their wrath down on us, just like children. Wilt thou not be afraid of thy father? You say children shouldn't fear their fathers. You've never read the Bible. Where is your religion coming from? What are you talking about? Are you insane? Or are you part of the no fear generation? I hate those shirts. I hate that bumper sticker. No fear. We're supposed to fear God first, fear the king next, fear our fathers, fear our masters, fear our husbands, and fear our pastors. You say, where in the Bible does it say to fear your pastor? 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20, Then that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Every sphere of authority is built on fear. The foundation is fear. You say, well, if it was just fear, that wouldn't be very exciting. It's not just fear. It's the praise of those that do well. It's the reward of those that do well. It's love. But the foundation is fear. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? You're supposed to be afraid of the power. And I'm going to tell you, you all are afraid of the power. When you're on a highway that says 55 miles per hour and you're doing 72, and you come up over a crest of a hill, and you see this unmarked four-door sedan sitting down there in the weeds, you hit the binders and test whether Bendix made you a good pair or not of brakes. Because you know what? You're afraid of the power. Because you know he's just about to get you for 17 miles over and probably 175 bucks. And to appear in a day in court in order to get it reduced to, aren't they so easy? to get it reduced down to $87.50 or something like that. Oh, yeah, you know what it means to be afraid of the power. But we want to be afraid of the power and not drive 72 and a 55. I wasn't making 
fun of that situation. I'm saying we shouldn't be doing that. We should be afraid of the power because it says rulers are not a terror to good works. Let's do the good works and drive within their constraints. And they punish the evildoer, and we're glad. Do you want people screaming around you, weaving in and out, drunk on the roads? Do you like drunk drivers around you when your children are coming home from Greenville Tech? Or do you want policemen looking that are very, that are very good at being able to spot the, the conduct of a driver at the wheel and the movements of a car and know that he's probably under the influence? These men are not rocket scientists, but they can get a person out of a car and know within seconds whether he's drunk or not without a breathalyzer, without a blood test. Because they're, they're trained for it, and our government sent them to protect us. And if we drive right, we're keeping their good works, and they're not a terror to us. They're a terror to the evil. Hitler's Germany, I think I'll bring him up again. I think I irritated a few of you last week. I think I surprised the rest of you. You know, there's no difference between this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and this. Heil Hitler. One's Germany, one's America. They both had civil ordinances. And if you were to check out the efficiency of two nations and two militaries, you would find out that the one was better than the other. Just might want to check into that a little bit and find out which one I'm referring to. The per capita efficiency, per capita crime level, per capita production, per capita military successes. Check it out. I wonder where it came from. I think that there was a ruler that you have demonized, and I'm not going to say what I think of him because that's for the Lord to say. Do you all understand that? We do not bring railing accusations against any ruler in the history of the world. God raised up that man because Hitler Germany deserved Hitler, and Germany wanted Hitler. And he was perfect for that nation. If God sent him, he was perfect, right? You have a problem? Okay. Well, that nation was orderly. You know, was, I appreciate some of you men that grabbed me last Sunday and wanted to tell me that it's been known for almost 70 years now that, you know, Germany's trains always ran on time. I wonder how that happened. Because there were men that did their duties, and they were praised. And there were men that didn't do their duties, and they were punished. And that's what civil government is for. You know, when God lists civil laws, and I just read them to you, parricide, are you thankful that you live in a country that punishes those guilty of parricide? That's killing parents. Murder, kidnapping, lying, perjury, and other crimes. We can easily add from Scripture lying, rape, stealing, false advertising, maiming, bestiality. In America, we can further add harassment, libel, and slander, contract, or covenant breaking. You know, we have so many blessings in this country. And if you break those things, you get punished. If you keep those things, you get praised. You get privileges. You get honors. Courts defend you. And we, we have such a wonderful situation in which we live. For rulers are not a terror to good works. That is obeying the government. Rulers are not a terror to obeying. They're a terror to disobeying. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? If he is going to punish you for disobeying, then aren't you going to be afraid of him and obey? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Is the verse difficult anymore? Is it very obvious to you? This is not a theoretical verse. This is not a political science verse. This is not a verse for patriots to sit around and mull beside a fire 
and think about whether our government has crossed some line that they have drawn in the sand and they're no longer going to obey the government. There's nothing like that in this passage. This is a flat-out absolute statement. Rulers are not a terror to good works. How often is that true? Always! Or there isn't a ruler. A ruler has to maintain civil order or the whole nation disintegrates. So how do you keep in peace with such a ruler? And how do you avoid damnation? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. It is that simple. Romans 13.13 What are not good works? The government of Israel at this point is not something you refer to because the government of Israel was church and state in a very closely, tightly knit unity. Sometimes the same man did both. Samuel was priest and judge. The, the religion, the religion and the church were the same as the government. And so you had God's law being the law of the state. There hasn't been another nation like that. So we can't use them as our example. But you can look around the whole globe. You can look back through history as far as you want to. And you'll find that God did not ordain civil government from the Bible for the purpose of enforcing His religion on all citizens. So we don't measure our government in Washington or our government in Columbia or our government downtown Greenville by how much Bible Christianity they're promoting. God never set up kings to promote Bible Christianity. Once in a while, he'll raise up an Artaxerxes and do what he did with Ezra. But many times he raises up Nebuchadnezzar's to, to tear Jerusalem and the temple down. Or he raises up Titus, the prince, to tear the temple down. To kill 1.1 million people in the greatest tribulation the world has ever seen. That's God's secret will. That's God's providential use of government. We're not dealing with any of that right here in verse 3. We're dealing here with the simple fact Governments are in charge of keeping nations safe, peaceful, and prosperous. Therefore, if you want to avoid their damnation, keep their commandments. Paul is yelling out to these Jews and Gentiles that did not want to submit to a pagan, Christ-crucifying, apostle-killing, and all the other things that the Roman government did. Paul's yelling out to those Christians, Just keep his laws! There's no damnation if you'll keep his laws! You won't go to prison! Unless in God's providence, He's raised them up to punish the church for a few reigns, which He did. Ten Caesars, ten kings, ten emperors of Rome persecuted the church. Then along came Constantine. And Constantine gave nominal Christianity freedom within his empire to exist. And you know, Christians rejoiced. Was Constantine a Christian? His name in the book of life, there is no evidence of it. The number of relatives that he killed and his attitude, just that's... You can go look at all that yourself. Listen, I don't even like talking about them much anymore. If they have anything to rebuke in their lives, the Lord will rebuke them because they're His servants. God did not ordain civil government for the purpose of enforcing His religion on all citizens. God didn't ordain civil government for the purpose of enforcing His morality on all citizens. God did not ordain civil government for the purpose of applying His wisdom on all citizens. He just gave them a limited, a limited parameter, which they all fulfill to the most part, of keeping us safe. We have 315 million people in this, in this country. We're the third most populous nation on earth. How in the world do 350, 15 million hot-headed, red-blooded Americans live and drive peacefully with each other? 
We're a bunch of independent, thinking, radically minded, strong individuals. How do they all work together? Fear of a sword. Fear of a sword. You know, a person naively keeping God's law, let me try to make this, let me back up and say it a different way in case you're, you're misunderstanding me. God ordained civil government for maintaining peace and safety for all the citizens of a nation. Period. That's the purpose of civil government. Other than God's exceptional use providentially of them making a decree like, I want a Bible to replace all these competing English Bibles. And so we have a Bible being produced in, between 1604 and 1611 under the order of King James I of England, the sixth of Scotland, who was a Baptist-hating, state church, eternal sonship, baby-sprinkling heretic from a Bible standpoint. And I don't, I don't care. All I care about is there's 400 years of fruit that prove that this King James Bible is God's words in English. But God used a king because you know what? You can't get anything done. You can't get anything done unless you use a king. That's why they're his servants. But that's the sermon after our break. I mean, if he were to say something to you, Jonathan Crosby, I think you ought to get rid of all these competing new modern versions of the Bible in the the country. What am I going to do about it? So he does it with kings because they're real men. They have real authority. They have real power. They have real capital. They have taxing ability. They can do whatever they want. Where the word of a king is, what does Ecclesiastes chapter 8 say? Where the word of a king is, there is power. He didn't care what the Puritans thought. He didn't care what the Church of England thought. He didn't care about them bickering. He wanted a Bible, and he got it. Let me put it this way. Okay, so you think that government is to bring our nation to Bible Christianity. And since it's not, you're not going to obey it anymore. You're going to move out in the country. You're going to move out to Idaho and pretend you're Randy Weaver. You're going to move down to Waco, Texas and pretend you're David Koresh. Known them for 50 years. Read their materials for 50 years. Add all all their minds up together and you're still looking for a mind. You say, why would you talk that way? Read Second Peter two ten through twelve, Jude chapter one verses eight through ten, Amen. and see what God has to say about them. They're brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Amen. I've read many many pages over the last week in preparation for this, including what happened at Ruby Ridge with Randy Weaver, and I love our government. Amen. He was a rebel for fifteen years. I don't know why they let him go so long, and I don't know why they ever paid out any civil suits. It's just because our government's a great big sugar daddy. A person naively keeping God's law or wisdom today because he thinks that government is to promote Bible Christianity. Okay, Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25 says that when you chance by your neighbor's vineyard, you're welcome to go ahead and pick a cluster of grapes and eat them. So you're in the local public store and you walk by the big grape counter and you pick up a bunch of grapes and eat it because you're practicing Bible Christianity. What's going to happen to you? You know, here... You're going to have a misdemeanor in, a, in an Islamic country that's closer to the Bible. They're going to cut your hands off. They're going to punish you severely. But you're trying to practice Bible Christianity. See, our government doesn't do that. You know, it wasn't assigned to do that. How about polygamy? You know, polygamy was allowed in the Bible, so I'm going to go ahead and have two wives. David had multiple wives. Solomon had multiple wives. Abraham had multiple wives. Jacob had multiple wives. I'm going to have another wife. 
you're not going to go very far. Our government's opposed to that. Because our government, it wasn't set up to establish Old Testament law, New Testament law, just these basic parameters that keep us from hurting each other and give you the opportunity to go out and be prosperous and successful. Because everyone else is going to have to play on the same level playing field as you do because we have a king. And we have governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And on and on we could go with a long list. This clause is not conditional at all. As I've pointed out to you, it's just a flat-out statement of truth. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil, period. Russia, Germany, China, United States. True. More true in them than true here. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. What kind of good works are we talking about? The good works of being a good citizen. If you are a good citizen, the ruler is no terror to you. If you are a criminal, or if you break the law, then the ruler is a terror to you. How you view this clause is important to the proper understanding of Christians and civil rulers, and it will give you the means to be able to answer those that come against you in the future, because when they can't corrupt rulers, the word rulers, and make them gospel preachers, fourth time, they'll corrupt the word good works. Then they'll corrupt the fact that this is just a hypothetical statement. This is just an idealistic statement. This is just a conceptual idea of the proper way government should function. It isn't any of those things. This is the Roman government of the Roman Empire, the conquering iron boot that ruled from Britain to Syria. They were not a terror to good works. But they crucified the Lord of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not a terror of good works. What good works are under consideration? Jesus kept all of them. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. So if you keep the good works, the ruler isn't a terror to you. Well, what did Jesus do in order for the Roman government to kill him? What did he do? He was part of the eternal covenant of grace that God had sent him into this world to die, and he had to die on a tree and he had to die with his side pierced, and Jews don't kill that way. That's how it happened. Jews kill by stoning. He had to hang on a cross. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. God arranged all that providentially according to the determinate counsel of God, and it has nothing to do with whether you obey the government or not. It has to do with God's providential manipulation of that government for things that are in his secret will only. This is his revealed will right here. Sometimes God raises up persecuting powers and it's for our the refinement of our faith. You know, when you look at 1,000 years of the Dark Ages and there were all those martyrs, why was that happening? They were model citizens. Why was that happening? Because God had purposed that, that he was going to allow the man of sin to make war with the saints and to prevail for 1,260 years, according to Daniel 7, Revelation chapter 13, and other places in the Bible. And then at other times, whoa! Things change, and some king says, I want a new Bible, and we get a Bible. The Lord raises up the Ottoman Empire, and it overthrows Constantinople in 1453. And in 1453, a, a tsunami of Greek manuscripts come out of the Greek, the remains of the Greek Empire at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea and flood Europe. And so the, the proliferation of Bibles just exploded in English because God was manipulating the pawns on his table, but those pawns on the table are our rulers and powers and higher powers. They're his servants and his ministers. 
If you get the correct works in mind, the verse makes obvious sense. These Christians at Rome, rulers were not a terror to good works. If they would obey what the government told them to do, if they would submit to every ordinance of man as Peter wrote it, they didn't have to be afraid. But if they're going to, if they're going to resist, remember he's dealing with resisting and he's trying to encourage all the Christians to submit. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Whoso resisteth, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. He had patriots that he was dealing with and he was explaining what they could do. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Just do what is right in the eyes of the Roman Empire and you'll be fine. If you're a criminal, you're going to get punished and rightfully so. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Fear is a good thing. Look at Leviticus chapter 19 with me. Let's just remind ourselves what the Bible says about fear and it being involved in personal, even intimate relationships. Leviticus 19.3 Ye shall fear every man his mother. Do you mean you should fear your mother? The best children feared their mother because the law was in her mouth. And in her right hand. Ye shall fear she doesn't bear the rod in vain. You know, the civil government doesn't bear the sword in vain, but parents don't bear the rod in vain. Ye shall... I need to get a big screen, don't I? With Bible verses up behind me. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. There it is in Leviticus 19 and verse 3. In Hebrews 12 and verse 9 it says... We gave our fathers reverence. If there's anyone on earth that could be called reverend with a Bible in addition to God himself, it'd be a father. We gave reverence to our fathers. The Apostle Paul said, speaking of the Jewish people as he wrote the Hebrew epistle. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, a verse that I often use for other purposes, but let's look at it for the subject of fear. Proverbs 24, fear is a good thing. Fear is what is lacking in this generation. Do you understand? What I'm dealing with right now, which is just a passing point in Romans 13, 3, it's the problem of this generation. There is no proper fear of authority. Fear is the foundation of all authority. It's not love. We don't obey because we love, because when you're having a bad day and you don't feel in love with the person in authority, you're not going to obey them. But fear can be there all the time, and you can love. Proverbs 24 and verse 21, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. That's the proper order, and that's the proper verb. Fear. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. Look at Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Verse 2, the fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. You know, I wish I could have one right for you right now. I wish I could, if I put one outside behind this brick wall right here, would you be able to hear it? Would you be able to feel it? I'm, I'm sitting on pews on concrete. No, I couldn't feel it. You are wrong. Eight miles in an African jungle or plain. Eight miles. The fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. Can you imagine being out walking to the, walking through your yard at night because you forgot to get the mail during the daytime? So you're taking the trek to your mailbox 
and a lion roars from 100 yards away, do you know what would happen to you? It involves your anatomy and some biological functions. Because the fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. You should be terrified of him. That's why it's called terror. He's a terror to evildoers. And we want him to be a terror to evildoers. And we are thankful. We live in a country where he's a terror to evildoers. And we are especially thankful for the state of Texas. Because that's where most of the capital punishment is executed in this country. 43 in 2012, 43 in 2011, and they're working on it this year. And that's against enormous opposition. But I'm thankful we still have some rulers that do it in this pacifist, sissified, baby, no, no fear generation. They're still doing it. We live in a country like that. The fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. I saw that authority Friday morning, as I've already related to you. I saw that authority a few years ago in a dragnet to catch a lot of people one particular Friday evening. This is the word of the Lord. Whoso sinneth, whoso, whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. That's the damnation of Romans 13 too. Why do you want to sin against him? This isn't sin against God, but sin against him turns into sin against God because whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. But this is sinning against him. Why would you do anything to offend a king whose anger is like the roar of a lion? He can speak the word and take care of you. Janet Reno could speak the word and take care of the branch Davidians. I, I love what may be going through some of your minds. Are you telling me that you're on the side of Janet Reno against the branch Davidians? Absolutely. They should have dozed the place five to ten years earlier. You don't have the right to do what you want to do when a government's nervous about your ridiculous activities. Polygamy is against the law in this country. Child abuse is against the law in this country. Those are some pretty good works. I don't care about their liberties. What are you talking about when you say liberty? Where did you get your concept of liberty from? That a man, because he's on his private property, can take advantage of little girls? Thankfully, they have drones. Hopefully, they won't have to have any standoffs in the future. Send a drone in, take whatever pictures they want for evidence, and then send a drone in and just level the place. That's authority. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's the way it should be, so that evildoers are punished, and those that do well are rewarded. You know, every time that you open your mouth and speak in favor of those at Ruby Ridge or speak in favor of those at Waco, Texas, you are why this country is liberal. Because everyone with two bits for a brain know that you are wrong. Who only has one bit for a brain. You say, where did you get that kind of language from? 2 Peter 2, 10 through 12, Jude 1, 8 through 10. You don't know what you're talking about. You're self-willed, presumptuous, and like a brute beast. That's why I said it. I love authority. You say, well, based on what I know about your life, you'd already be dead. Absolutely. I've committed capital crimes in my life. What does that have to do with anything? I still believe it with all my heart, soul, and strength because it's God's word. 
Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? We should be afraid of the power. We don't obey government or rulers because we like their great smile or that they do well in televised debates. That's how the world thinks. Well, I didn't vote for him. I don't like him. Therefore, I don't, I don't really feel respectful toward him because I didn't vote for him. I don't like him. That doesn't have anything to do with it. He has a sword and he sits in a position that God gave him and he can damn you. And I don't mean send you to hell. I mean ruin your life. He can put you in prison. Did, did you see what Artaxerxes wrote at the end of at the end of his letter? Whoever needs to be killed, put him to death. Whoever needs to be banished, banish them. Whoever needs to be imprisoned, imprison them. Whoever needs to have their stuff confiscated, confiscate it. <laughs> That's government. That's their sword. That's their right. It's not their it's their duty. God gave them to do that. They are his servant. They are his revenging sword. As verse 4 is going to teach us, fear of authority is a good thing. Oh, Lord, teach us this fear. The, you know, when you, if you're in Proverbs still, look at 16.14. Proverbs 16.14. I hear somebody saying right now, but Solomon was a king. That's why he wrote those verses. Do you really believe that? That Solomon wrote those verses because he needed help being a king? Solomon wrote these verses because he was God's penman for the word of God. Proverbs 16.14, the wrath of a king is as messengers of death. You never want the, the government to be upset at you. When you get an IRS notice in your mailbox, do all of you do what I do? You know, get a little weak need? But we, you know, we shouldn't. If our consciences are clear, but it's just the fact that they have authority. They can come in, demand your records back for seven years, go through them, audit them, which they should have the, which they have the total right to do. And determine whether you've paid enough taxes or not. It's the authority that they have. There should be some fear. Just like this verse, 1614. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death. But a wise man will pacify it. That's what Romans 13.3 is teaching. A wise man will pacify it. We'll keep the laws. We'll park where we're supposed to park. We'll pay what we're supposed to pay. We'll give honor where we're supposed to give honor. We won't hurt our neighbor. We'll do good. We'll be good citizens. And Christians for 2,000 years have been model citizens. Let's make sure that we're model citizens so that we fit Romans 13 and verse 3. I just love these verses in Proverbs. Look at 19.12. Because you should love authority. It's a beautiful thing. When the, when the Lord lists four comely things, you know there's a greyhound and there's a he-goat and there's a lion and there is a king against whom there is no rising up. Proverbs 19 and verse 12. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion. Here it is again. But his favor is as dew upon the grass. Which do you want? A lion roaring at night while you're on the way to the mailbox? Or some dew on the grass to, for nutrition and to prosper you? It's how you treat the king. It's how you treat the king's ordinances. We don't care that the king himself wants to be, if the king wants to be an abortionist, if the king wants to allow abortion in the nation, that's not impacting our lives at all. Let him do it. He's not requiring it of us. Let them have same-sex marriages. They're not going to reproduce very fast. Listen, they're still subsidizing our marriages because we can have children. The abortionists pay more taxes in our government to support us with our children who take the exemptions for our children. I've taught you that. God bless the IRS. Homeland Security, if you're listening to this, God bless the IRS. Go to www.letgodbetrue.com and read the document. 
God bless the IRS. That's what we believe about taxation. We're happy to pay our taxes and we're thankful for you. And we hope that you will double the number of tanks you have and buy twice as much ammo as you presently have so that when there is civil disorder in this country, you can protect us. We love you. Thank you very much. I can't believe the way that people react. I've read so much junk. I want them to have all the bullets. I hope they buy so many that no one can buy any more. Because they're God's minister for good. They're God's minister of revenge. On whom? Why should we be worrying? They're not coming after us because we're going to do the good works they want us to do. But if there's civil disorder, I want tanks in the streets. I don't want Dodge Chargers. You say, well, I'm going to protect myself from civil disorder. Why don't we sit down and have a chat about that? and what it would really be like if you're going to protect yourself from civil disorder. That doesn't mean we don't take our means, as everybody knows who knows me. But we're dealing with the king. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. What is good here? It is being a good citizen. God didn't ordain civil rule to promote Bible religion, Bible morality, only the basics of keeping us safe from one another. It doesn't matter what they're like in their person. It doesn't matter what the government promotes among its closest followers and allows. It's what the government requires to be good citizens, and right now it doesn't require anything that we can't do. It doesn't require anything that we shouldn't do. We live in a very wonderful nation. Governments love good citizens, for it makes their job much easier and encourages universal good. See, a government, you know, government's from God, but all governments are popular. Not that they should be. Because they're from God. They don't have to be popular. I don't care if, if every single person in a nation doesn't like the government. God gave the government, and that's the government that that nation should have. Just like if someday you make a decision for your family that they don't really like, it doesn't matter if they don't like you. You're still their father. But to a certain degree, governments are popular, and so they depend upon their citizens being good citizens, and their good citizens being very good citizens, and those good citizens showing fear and honor and respect and paying taxes on time and parking the way they should and driving the way they should, and see that feeds on itself until the whole nation basically is a good, law-keeping, law-abiding nation. The more patriots there are, the more trouble there is, so you have to have homeland security and other agencies to go after these Aryan nation, independent thinking, patriot, anarchist type people who want to rebel against government because they're the minority and they have to rule the majority so they need the majority to be compliant in all governments. Just like when a father has five sons sitting around the table and he realizes, huh, if there was a conspiracy theory in this family, they might, they could try it I would go down with some damage done. But they might be able to overthrow me. But you know, you teach them from, the, from their youth that they're supposed to fear their father. Mm-hmm. And so there's that element of fear there, and there's compliance. And when son number five came along and saw that son number one and son number two were afraid of dad, it helped. Because without any lesson hardly, he realized... My big, mighty brothers fear dad. 
He didn't even have to consciously think about it. It was just there. And that's the way it works when we are model citizens. We help our nation because the government depends upon us to do that. They are in the minority. If you've, if you've ever read something like Mutiny on the Bounty or one of those where a captain on a ship is out to sea and he's got all those sailors, you know, and all the sailors added together don't have the mental acuity of that captain when he was an eight-year-old, but they can, they can take over the ship. And it depends upon fear and the enforcement of authority and bearing the sword. And they don't bear it in vain. And we should be afraid if we're not going to keep the law. But if we're going to submit and if we're going to practice Pauline apostolic Christianity, there isn't a problem. They're going to praise us as the verse teaches. Christians should be perfect in all issues of citizenship like Daniel was in pagan Persia. Do you think that there were ever conflicts between Daniel's religion and some of the things he was doing for his kings? Daily. Did Daniel do them anyway? Yes. It was the king's decision. He was simply executing the king's order. Just like we pay taxes to a nation that uses our tax money to promote and pay for abortions. Just like Jesus paid taxes to a government that crucified him in the worst trial in the history of the world. But there's Daniel. You know what? When they went after Daniel, because Darius the Mede was going to promote him to the top of his government, his peers wanted to vet him and get him removed from office. And when they vetted him, what did they find? He was perfect and there wasn't a single flaw in his 70-year history of public service. They said the only way that we will ever be able to get Daniel is to get him in a matter of his religion with his God. And that is exactly how we want to go down if we ever have to go down. It is never for disobeying the laws of our government until they cross the law of our God. It is for being a good Christian. And if this government gets so bad that they start persecuting Bible Christians for Bible Christianity, then so be it. We're going to trust God that he's arranged that for us, just like he arranged it for the martyrs, just like he arranged it for the Jews. We see it through all the pages of Scripture, all the pages of history. That's his providential choice. It'll be for our profit if we'll respond the right way. We just want to make sure that we are model citizens. We are model Christians. We do not want them to be able to find the slightest thing on us to show that we've been breaking the laws of the king. And I hope that if that ever happens to anyone, that somebody in that court, like a judge who knows his Bible, will be able to turn to Romans 13 and point out that you broke the word of God being a patriot. This is Romans 13 and verse 3. There are three things that you need to remember, other than the obvious, just by reading the verse. Rulers are civil government. Good works are good citizenship and the rules of the nation. Three, it is an absolute statement, not a conditional if statement, that leaves it as a litmus test for you to decide when or when you are not going to obey government. Those three things in hand, the verse is simple and obvious, just like we understand for the other four spheres of authority. May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Stand with me, brethren.